Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, John. And good morning, Swanee, behind the uh, microphone there. John's like a bullet from a gun, isn't he, with that uh, return. I've done it a few times. He has done it a few the times. The call and response. Do you know what number show this is, you two? 500? No, not quite. Oh. 374. So you've said it quite a lot, John. Yeah. 374 divided by 52. I know. You just think about it. Arts About is, of course, brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the Bendigo Bank studio with cultural sounding board and artist in residence, John Baird, me, Sally Bailey, and, of course, Swanee, uh, keeping us in check and uh, uh, and sliding those knobs. That's me. And where, where, where be Mark? Uwe Mark? Mark. Mark's, Mark's AWOL. He's yes. gone to Europe. Yes, he has. So we're in France, as you intimated. Yes, catching he, up with various members of his offspring. Chasing his children all over Europe. <laughs> he is. He's yeah, got he, children spread from one end to the other. Yeah, and they're the only, only the ones he knows about. <laughs> That's true. Now, a few apologies I've got coming up because we've had a few uh, listeners call in and point out a couple of things to them. One, apparently, Swanee, you played the same song several times well, while we, I was away. We had a total of four complaints about that. Did you? What can I say? It's a good song. <laughs> Lee Hazelwood <laughs> Sand, hello. Let's yeah. play it again. Oh, let's not play that again. Okay, so that's one apology. But also I've got another one because there was a bit of a mix-up with last week's yeah. show. And um, I'm very sorry to our listeners who may have tuned in and found the previous week's show airing. Yes. Um, I hope you managed to tune in on the Wednesday broadcast and the additional Thursday afternoon. The biggest problem with that, Sally, is that you weren't on it. No, I know. Here I was back from Europe. Yeah. Excited to be back with the team and back in the studios, and they didn't play my program. Yeah, so. and I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good one. Goodness me! Anyway, um, but Brendan, the station manager, he prostrated himself, and we caned him ten times. That's good to hear. Yeah. I'm very good. I'm very glad. So, let, getting back to form, we've mm-hmm. got you in, John. What are you going to be on about this week? I have another Kelly story this week. Oh, Swanee will be pleased. He likes Kelly, Kelly and Kelly the stories. plaster cast. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Uh, Well, as we said, Mark's not in here, so I'm going to have a quick chat today with Heather Forbes-McKeon. She's the convener of the Poetry Corner in McRae that has defied all odds and managed to get an anthology published uh, of some of the group's writing within two years of the group being formed. Really? Against all odds? Well, it's pretty amazing. It doesn't happen. It is. Poetry is difficult in the publishing realm. Poetry's struggled all its life. It's difficult in the publishing realm but it's also very difficult to handle a group and keep them cohesive and 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 happening in the way that the McRae group has done and well, they've had some amazing world. amazing uh, guest poets in over the years uh, any of the last couple of years so anyway mm-hmm. we're going to uh, talk with her about that book yeah. and let people know how they might actually find that book yep. um, I'm also, this week on the show, we're going to be talking to the artistic director of the Bloomsday in Melbourne group uh, and also one of the performances in their production of Tom Stoppard's play Travesties that's going to be on at 45 Downstairs this month. Francis Devlin-Glass and Dion Mills are going to be in the studio with us in a few minutes' time. Fabulous. Are they going to, as in Bloomsday, are they going to dress up like some of the characters in Ulysses? Maybe with a pair of glasses. This is radio, so they can do whatever they like, and we yeah. can say. So if a rotund man in a moustache comes in, I'll just say, hello, Leopold. If you like. Yeah. Sure. Mm. 
So while we prefer, prepare mm. ourselves and our microphones to talk to all, all things James Joyce and Tom Stoppard, yep. here's the kinks demonstrating that little has changed in the last 40 years. Wow. You like that song, do you, Swanee? Yeah. I can see you at home alone, Swan, listening to that, doing the monkey dance. Well, we're all eight men and women, we really, are, aren't we? Absolutely, yes, we are. Uh, but moving on to this morning, coming up at 45 Downstairs this month is the Bloomsday Group's production of Tom Stoppard's play, Travesties. Based on the true story of James Joyce's 1917 Zurich production of The Importance of Being Earnest. Written in 1974 about a revolution in politics and art and the role of the artist, the perfectly titled Travesties explores the unreliable memoirs of Henry Carr, a minor English consul officer recalling discussions with three famous revolutionaries, communist leader Lenin, the Dada's poet Tristan Zara and the modernist writer James Joyce who all happened to be in neutral Zurich during the First World War. The Bloomsday Group is dedicated to all things James Joyce. It's a literary circle and since its breakaway from the Yates Society in, in, Victorian, in Victoria in 1994 has been presenting Joycean works created by its members every year in one form or another. This year they're producing one of Tom Stoppard's play featuring the, the great Irish literary giant as one of its central characters. To tell us more, Creative Director of the Bloomsday in Melbourne, Francis Devlin-Glass, who is an Honorary Associate Professor of the Arts Faculty at Deakin University, joins us, as well as Dion Mills, who plays the British Consul Officer Henry Carr, whose unreliable memoirs are the vehicle driving this play. Good morning to both of you. Thank you so much for coming into Arts About this morning. Sorry about the mic. They both have to lean in. (laughs) Sorry about that. It's austerity measures. They're sharing a mic. Francis, before we talk about the production, can you tell us a little bit about the Bloomsday Group and what it uh, means to be a, a member? And also, like, why do we have a Bloomsday Group here in the Antipodes? Ah, uh, look, uh, there, there is a strong uh, Joyce reading community here in Melbourne, and we're very proud to have um, fostered it, generated it and sustained it, really. Um, it came about because I was working in a university which had a drama department and it was just a wonderful opportunity to put together literature students and drama students. And initially, um, Bloomsday uh, worked on the premise that um, Joyce was writing in detail about a city he loved. And that city wasn't all that different from Melbourne. So we tramped the streets. We always had a formal event in the evening, a gala of some sort or another. Uh, but we were doing readings all over Melbourne and falling in love with the city, actually. Not its grand places, normally speaking, but its grotty places because that's the kind of scene that Joyce goes to, typically. Um, that got harder and harder to do by the early 2000s because um, I can remember one occasion we were taking up the hearse once again. John Alison Monkhouse used to lend us their hearse for the funeral scene. That was great fun. Um, and Williamstown Council, we were down in Williamstown that year, um, required us to have uh, a pooper scooper on board. So we appointed mm-hmm. a pooper scooper and we asked Jack Hibbard to read a wonderful reading straight out of Ulysses, uh, to do with a horse plopping. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the end of being outdoors. We also Surely. ran into a lot of trouble doing Hades in um, Parliament Station. <laughs> My contribution to those events was that while they were on, I would always have a copy of Ulysses on the dashboard of the car. Yeah. So I always had a dashboard 
book, <laughs> you know, and uh, so people would think I was ready. And Ulysses I found bewildering, but I liked it on the dashboard of the car. <laughs> and when that, when that was removed, the Communist Manifesto went back on. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very Revolutionary good. Revolutionary uh, to yeah. your very core, John. Yeah, the, uh, Ulysses comes freighted with a great deal of significance and importance and mystery really and mm. yeah, academics have had their role in mystifying it mm. um, our role we see is in demystifying right. it yeah, yeah. Uh, because we think it's a book that can be enjoyed by anyone uh, if it's presented in the right kind of way sure and so long as you realize that it's uh, taking the something that un- unspeakable out of everything yeah. um, and that it's a comic novel um, you know, you're in. You're playing in a different territory. I was always told that I should read it out loud if I was absolutely. Going to yeah. And right. and our experience has been that it's much easier to hear than to read. Uh, and actors add so much value to this text because Joyce's ear is pitch perfect for the vernacular. Uh, Cadence, for, rhythm, all beautiful. Fabulous yeah. poetry yeah. and mm. fabulous grunge poetry. And fabulous parodies, parodies of every genre on earth. It's an encyclopedia of parodies. So we, we've had a lot of fun with it over the years. Because the thing about Ulysses, and, and I guess the, to go on when we start talking about the play, we're talking about revolutionaries, the, yeah. the major characters yeah. in this play are revolutionaries. And, and Joyce was with this novel, for our listeners that perhaps don't know, because he really broke the form. He ch- completely changed yeah. the way things were written, he, didn't he? He smashed into the Victorian novel with great intensity and yeah. humour, you know. Um, he, uh, like other modernists, but more so for him, he was a lot longer being taken up than other modernists, I can tell you. Um, he changed the scene for literature forever um, and has been endlessly imitated since then. Now... Um as I sort of alluded to a little earlier, mostly the Bloomsday Group has produced work that has been written by its members. Is that yeah? I- what we do typically is to mine um, the novels. Um, we've certainly done a, a theatrical version of Portrait, um, and we often adapt chapters of the novel because they're they're often very self-contained and different in style from one another anyway, so it just makes sense to do them one at a time. We have done a Ulysses Prestissimo, the whole novel in 90 minutes. Um, that was a bit wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other people have attempted. Dermot Bolger has a version of that uh, that the Abbey does. And, yeah. That'd be handy for all the catch-ups like John. You could just get a 90-minute <laughs> version. That would be good, wouldn't so, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a cartoon version. So, Dion, um, a lot of fun reading those beautiful words. Well, um Certainly Stoppard's beautiful words. The the actual words from Ulysses don't really feature much in the play. There's the occasional <laughs> quote. I refer to the Limmat River in Zurich as being snot green. Mucus mutandis. <laughs> I, 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 might, I might also tell the listeners that Dion's sporting a very beautiful pair of uh, Joycean glasses. <laughs> Actually, John Peck is playing... Joyce and it's a hilarious performance because um, Henry Carr, whom I play, mm. his, um, he's, he's no fan of Joyce and because everything is sent, you know, his, his mangled memories, um, yeah, Joyce comes, gets quite a tough deal, but he's very, very funny. Well, most of his work was abroad in Zurich and he wasn't popular at home. When he died, 
They were happy to leave him there. His wife said, do you want the remains to come home here as well? They said, no, thanks. <laughs> All they cared about was whether he died a Catholic or not. Really? No, yeah. can't get enough of him. Absolutely. Always happens. The bad boys end up the, uh, the heroes. Yeah. Uh, so your character basically narrates this, this play, doesn't yes. he, Henry Carr, yeah, backwards and forwards through time as an old man and as a younger man and so on. Um, he, um, he really was a real person, wasn't he, in, in Zurich at that time, and he really did have a crossover with James Joyce. Yes, he did, uh, and uh, it was an unhappy crossover. Uh, Stoppard, I believe, read a biography of Joyce, a very good one written in the 50s, I think, and he he discovered this this footnote essentially to Irish literature, which was this um, real person Henry Carr, who had had this run-in with he actually played Algernon Moncrief in The Importance Being Earnest um, for the English Players, which was this company which had been established by Joyce. But then they entered into it; they got into a spat over money. The two of them. It was a ridiculous, ridiculous spat over twenty-five francs and. Um, and wasn't that to do with a pair, pair of trousers? trousers and a pair of trousers, yes. Yes, yes because um, Henry Carr <laughs> uh, claimed to have spent 350 francs on a pair of tra- on, on clothing, costume, um, so that he looked as if he had been acquainted with the tailor. And, and um, he, uh, yes, and he wanted to be reimbursed for that. And anyway, it, it, was, uh, it all ended up in court <laughs> very badly. The, the, these four men, Henry Carr, James Joyce, Chris, Tristan Zara and, and Lennon, were all in Zurich, were, were actually all there at that time. Yeah. But do we know whether they, the other two were... Do we know whether they actually met, Tristan Zara and Lennon and Joyce? No hard evidence of meetings, but it's highly likely that Zara and Joyce were using the same cafes. Right. And, um, yeah... But certainly not as far as we know Lennon. But, but Lennon was Yulianov then. He was not well known. Yeah. Um, he would become known. In fact, one of the running jokes in the play is, a, is how badly the British government, the British consular office, does its spying yes. <laughs> in Zurich. <laughs> and, and Dion has a wonderful scene. Talk about it, Dion, will you? Oh, it's um, uh, because uh, so much of the importance of being earnest also gets folded into this play. There's scenes, and there's this uh, this one scene where uh, Henry Carr, he's trying to decide whether or not um, Gwendolyn, who no uh, Cecily, whom he's fallen in love with, and she's a great fan of Lenin, whether he's going to disappoint her by uh, preventing Lenin leaving Switzerland and getting to Russia now that the revolution's broken out. Then he just tries to decide while he's eating muffins because they help him think. <laughs> but and anyway, obviously he fails to get there in time. But, uh, well, uh, what, what do you think Stoppard's doing by bringing these characters together? They're three revolutionaries and one sort of ordinary uh, Englishman. Um, what's going on there? I mean, I, I, I might suggest that it has something in a way to do with... with the way that Joyce looked at the world and, and the way that he changed the way that we talked about big, big uh, events in life by looking at the minutiae. But, but what do you think? I mean, what do you think's going on as Henry Carr, I guess? Well, Henry Carr's um, uh, very traditional in his, in his thoughts and attitudes. Um, he prefers Gilbert and Sullivan to yes. anybody else. <laughs> Absolutely, he does. What's he doing in a stop heart play? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's actually very articulate, and he he makes wonderful arguments for um, 
uh, the actual liberty of the artist, even though he's even though he disapproves of what Zara is doing and what Joyce is doing, he still believes they have a right to do it, and that that is one of the reasons that he says that wars are fought to make the world safe for artists, or good wars are fought to make the world safe for artists. Uh, but uh, I think it's something to do with this. I would say that how Lenin's Len, the chances of Lenin it's, Lenin's victory was practically surreal. It was the chances, as it says, one in a million. Mm. And he actually pulled it off against all the odds. And so that's, so that's why he's one of those revolutionaries in the, yeah. the surreality of it. And yeah, Le Lenin is quite a complex character. I'm seeing more of the complexity as we rehearse. Um, but he's, he has a kind of utilitarian use for art, of course. Um, you know, he, he needs it to prop up his revolution. But he's also, at a personal level, a man who loves the clowns at the circus, is, um, becomes tearful when he listens to Beethoven's Appassionata. <laughs> um, so he has a personal need for art that he doesn't even recognise, that he um, spurns. But I think it's a really interesting debate play about what, what, art, what the limits of modern art are and what art can do for people. And Joyce gets a marvellous speech, which I think Stoppard fundamentally agrees with, that, um, you know, that if, for instance, um, the artists, he means Homer, hadn't been in Troy, um, then you wouldn't have Ulysses, who's his favourite character. And Ulysses is the most complete man there ever was. He's a son, a father, a lover, a, a, a politician, a, a a thinker, a dreamer. A brave man. A brave yeah. man in his own small way, yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's just a, a great uh, laugh fest and talk fest and think fest, this play. I, I think it's one of the major plays of our times, really. Is it a play for everyone? I think so, yeah. yeah. You're going to enjoy it, whatever you bring to it. Um, it's a wonderful mash-up with um, the importance of being earnest. And in fact, he does spectacular things like mash up Joyce's style with Oscar Wilde's style. You would never have thought that possible. <laughs> but this play does it triumphantly and brilliantly. So who's directing? Oh, the wonderful Jennifer Sarah Dean. She's fresh in Australia, three years here, and she's a powerhouse of a director. Um, she's come from the Globe, London, mm -hmm. where she... Um, she's also trained in physical theatre uh, and actually you might want to talk about her as a director, Dion. Oh, she yeah. is, she's, um, well, she's terrific. Uh, this is the first time I've worked with her but um, uh, I had seen uh, some colleagues of mine were performing in her production of uh, Twelfth Night uh, she's, she's created a company called the Melbourne Shakespeare Company and they were performing in a park in Malvern and I went to see their production and it was, it was such a joy. It was, I, I, yeah, it was, it was an absolute delight and just so clever and witty and brilliantly clever. And I've seen various productions, I've been in productions of Twelfth Night, two of them, and I'd never loved the play as I loved it when yeah. I saw her production. And then this came up and there was the opportunity to work with her. She sounds like the perfect person to draw out the fun, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Oh, look, anyone who can cope with the language of Shakespeare can cope with the language of Joyce, and she proved it brilliantly last year with um, Holy Cow, which was our adaptation of the most deeply literary chapter in Joyce. It was mm. terrific.
Watching. Well, Travesties is on at 45 downstairs from June the 12th to the 23rd. Um, I think you can get websites from both the, or, well, probably from both the 45 downstairs website, but also possibly the Bloomsday group. Absolutely. There'll be a link through there. Yeah. And of course, I will put a link on our Facebook page so that our listeners can more easily get to it if they, if they don't go out those other ways uh, to remind people thank you so very much for coming in and talking to us to us today and uh, good luck with the production really i'm really looking forward to seeing it thank you sally and thank, thank you. you for having us yeah. you're listening to arts about on rwpfm and coming up next i've got heather forbes mckeon on the line with us to tell us a little bit about the first new anthology of poetry called gatherings by the lighthouse that was released this week by the mccray poets corner good morning heather thanks for talking to us today Hi, Sally. Great to be here talking with you. How are you? Very well, thank you, Heather. Heather, it's a pretty remarkable achievement to have published a book of collected works so early in the group's history. You've only been going for a couple of years. How have you managed to do that? Uh, Well, that that is a good question. Uh, I think we've astounded a lot of poets from Melbourne because apparently an anthology usually takes about two years to actually produce, whereas we've been only in existence for just over two years and at the end of last year I had this idea about creating an anthology because my mentor Libby Charlton who is one of the original and dual uh, convener of the Dan O'Connell Melbourne's longest running live performance poetry performance event at the Dan O'Connell in Carlton she had told me that she was uh producing this anthology that they do on a regular basis with the Dan O'Connell. And the Dan O'Connell's been going for over 20 years, and so they would have produced, I think, about nine, I think she said at that point. Mm-hmm. So, um, And she's told me, you know, it's quite, it's a lot of work. Um, it takes months and months. So she's been in the production of hers since early last year, and it won't be released until the end of this year, whereas we managed to do ours in five months. So <laughs> it's just pretty amazing. Yes. Well, pickled poetry, is that, um, that's, I think, probably um, a lot to do with the efforts of one of your poets, isn't it? Uh, it is. Jai Thulin. Yes, correct. So Jai is one of our poets. And when I put the word out at one of our gatherings, if you are interested in being involved um, in the production of an anthology and you'd like to be on it, on a committee, Jai couldn't get out of his chair quick, quickly enough. So he has his own um, production uh, publishing house called Pickle Poetry and he's based in Rosebud. He's produced his own children's books, about four I think now, and he's only been going in the last two years as well. So Poets Corner has, I think, given him these opportunities too. So I think that he really wanted to... Uh, repay us in kindness and it's resulted in a lot of work for him I have to say but uh, yeah he's he's been really fantastic to work with as have the committee Um, but it has come back down to Jai because he's the one who's got it online for sale he's contacting bookshops and various outlets and oh, he's, yeah. he's also a rather fabulous poet, I have to say. I, I have not been to all of your Poets' Corners, but the ones that I have been to, Jai has always uh, performed, and I've loved his work. Yes, yes. No, he's a prolific poet, and he's set himself this goal. If, you, if you're interested in Jai's poetry, um, he's on, he produces a poem a day. He's given himself the poem a day challenge for a year, and... Uh, each day you'll see there's a new poem on our web on our Facebook page 
by Jai and he does an enormous range of poetry. He looks yes. the part of a bush poet and I know that he attends bush poet uh, events called Poetry Masters but he does a big range of poetry and he's very interested in form so yeah. he's quite disciplined um, and yeah so he's very prolific and in fact he's going to be involved in a musical uh, yeah, but I'll let him tell you about that, Sally. I think you're going to be doing an interview with him at some stage. I am. I'm hoping. Thank you, Santa. <laughs> I'm hoping that he's going to come in and perhaps uh, perform some of his poetry for us, maybe even next ah, week. Which great yeah. idea. And, great and, idea. And not to say uh, there's not a whole lot of other extraordinary poets in the group. Tell us a little bit uh, just about the group, when it meets, and 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 what form it takes, Heather. Okay, so it's a performance poet event, poetry event, which happens uh, from March to November. We have a summer break, so it's at the at the final Sunday of each month, and the doors open at five thirty, and we try to finish on time at eight o'clock, which is a real challenge. And they're held at the BBC Cafe in Macrae, and Heather Miles is the proprietor of the cafe. So there's two Heathers who are sort of behind the whole thing. I I proposed the idea to Heather. About three years ago, she she was so excited about it. She says, "I'm." She said to me, "I'm also a poet." So sometimes she gets up and forms her own poetry, and her poetry is also in the anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've changed how we do things only slightly in terms of the pricing, but the format has always remained the same. So we like to let people sort of relax for a little while. By about quarter past six, I start. I open the event, and then pretty quickly we get onto the first mic set open mic set so you if you're interested in getting up and performing your poetry you would have walked in the door and seen that there was a whiteboard and someone will be standing there and you can walk up and ask for your name to be put down in either two of the open mic sets so the first open mic set will run from about quarter past six till ten to seven then we have a break for ten minutes and then we have our feature poet I've booked feature poets well in advance and I always thoroughly check them out and they come to me highly recommended and they're usually quite a big name from Melbourne. Yep. We used to only offer them a free meal, but now we're actually paying them. So I'm very excited about yeah, that. That's great we're now news. charging five dollars at the door for everyone that walks in, which that money goes towards paying for the poet. Um, and also Heather's uh, runs the cafe you know, as a restaurant so it's fully licensed, but you can also have a two-course meal. She has a, a set menu, and that's $25. If you're not going to take her up on that offer, but you're going to take one of her chairs, and she charges $5. So I think that's pretty fair. She's running this uh, you know, with, with a lot of staff. We have to do this all very, very quickly so we can maintain our uh, format and finish by 8 o'clock. So we basically... So you'll be up for about $30 if you come for the meal. So $5 goes to Poets Corner, $25 goes to the dinner, and you'll only be up for $10 if you don't uh, have the meal. I've been along several times, as I mentioned before. It is a fantastic night. It's a lot of fun, and there's some really... There is the, the... the level of poetry is really surprising, as are your feature poets. Who's your feature poet for the next one this later on this month? Uh, later on this month, we have a local uh, poet who is actually more well-known, I think, up in Melbourne, and, and his name is Michael Party. And Michael uh, lives down in Blake Arie. And actually, one of our poets, Megan Scott, um, who's 
who's got quite a name for herself as a poet as well. And uh, she's actually won all up $10,000 in prizes from her, for her own poetry. She's a local nurse. Um, she and Michael did a set together down at somewhere in Sorrento um, in the last month. So uh, she knows Michael quite well and I understand that he's very good uh, and he's going to be our next feature poet. Fabulous. So that's the yeah. last Sunday of this month. Now, yes. just getting back to the anthology, how do people buy the book? Uh, to buy the book, you can go to Pickle Poetry online, which is... Oh, that's right. Up, I'll, I'll put a link on our Facebook page thank you. for that. Pickle, PicklePoetry.com. Um, and also we have them in Style Pirate in Dramana and at the Book Barn in Rosebud. We're in discussion with uh, Farrell's Bookshop. And that's that's all we have at the moment. I'm also uh, hoping to get them for sale in other various tourism places on the peninsula and art galleries, but it's all in that early stages. But Jai is onto it. I will make sure that we put a link on our Facebook page. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, coming on today, Heather. It's great. It's an incredible group and we're uh, thrilled. And coming up over the next few months, we're going to have a few feature of your poets come in. Oh, wonderful. That would be great. Thanks so much for your support, Sally, and thanks for your wonderful uh, speech and toast that you did for us on Sunday night. It was a really fantastic event. I think the roof nearly flew off. Everyone was on such a high. So... Fantastic. Thank <laughs> you, Heather. So it was a great Thanks, fun. Sally. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. This is the ghost of Pablo Picasso. The time is for the quiz. Yes, you heard it first here. It's time for the quiz. We're really running short on time. We've only got one question, one question this week. Right. Hope we know what it is, I'll John. be directing this to mainly to John, yeah, well, John's the, the genius. Who made this painting in this or these years? Impression, Sunrise, 1872. Was it Gauguin? Was it Monet? Was it Cezanne? Cezanne? Or was it uh, Goya? I can't see the painting. No, there's no picture, John. It's oh, just, it's just, it's just by the title and the date, I'd, yeah, say impression, I'd say Cezanne, wouldn't you? Uh, no. No, I'd say Goya. No, 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 no. A, <laughs> I think we all have <laughs> a different opinion there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on. What uh, is it? Uh, I would have thought Monet. All right. Let's just check your uh, bona fides right. because you are, in fact, our artist in residence. Monet. Monet, you yeah. were right. Excrement. Of Go figure. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's only one thing to do now because you got that question in record time. Here mm-hmm. we go. And now it's time for John Paul. How's that Thank for you. some slick work? Kelly yes. the dog. <laughs> oh yeah, John. Oh, John. I'm going to seriously propose we do a little, just like the lady down at the BBC Cafe with the Poetry Corner. We do a little book called Kelly the Dog. I'd love to do it because it'd be a children's book. Could you send me a picture of Kelly the dog, and I'll put Kelly the dog up on the Ooh, Facebook page? Very difficult. Uh, what do you mean, a photograph? Yeah. No actual photographs exist of Kelly the dog. Do oh, you suppose there were some drawings? We were we were a family who didn't use a camera. We used to yeah. make drawings of things. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh, drawing how, of Kelly would be good. Yeah. How perfectly bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> My brothers and I uh, were constantly in the company of Kelly, and mm-hmm. uh, we considered Kelly to be somewhat the superdog and called her the superdog. Kelly the superdog. Yes, and my mother responding to that made her a little cape that would uh, oh. that fitted onto the collar 
And I wish I'd been born into John's family, don't you? I thought people were pathetic about dogs in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, go on. Very small little cape that just fitted over her shoulders and it had a circle on the back with a K in it. Mm-hmm. K for Kelly, obviously. Yep. And um, she used to wear this around while we were out and about. Did yep. she like and, it? Oh, well, she didn't really take any notice of it. Right. Although... Perhaps in response to the cape, her, the behaviour I'm about to talk about yeah. came about. Okay. Um, we went to, at the high school, there were some new basketball courts that they'd built, two of them side by side, and uh, we went down there. Kelly came with us. We had a basketball that had materialised from somewhere. And we're running up and down this court, bouncing the ball, and Kelly was sort of following the ball along and jumping up and down in concert with the ball, you know, jumping quite high about, you know, a metre high or something in concert with the basketball. Was Kelly... Kelly was just a little dog. Yeah, a little yeah. wire-haired terrier. Cool. And um, so she was running around bouncing like that and my brother saw her bouncing along and in a moment of unthinking kind of spirit, uh, picked her up and pretty well slam-dunked her up against the basketball board... So Kelly went flying through the air <laughs> and through the hoop. Through but, the hoop. Yeah, but she got one of her legs caught in the basket oh. on the way past, one of her four legs caught, and she was dangling for a few moments from the leg. Uh, but she wriggled her way through, uh, through the net, and yeah. uh, she ended up landing on the court rather heavily. Mm. And she hurt her back. Her, well, no, her leg, her, her foreleg, her left-hand foreleg. Oh. And she was lifting it up and kind of running around on three legs uh, and not really taking much notice of the injury, but we noticed it. So we picked her up, but she wasn't wasn't used to being carried, and she squirmed all the way home, which wasn't that far from the school back to our place. And we got her home because we had a workshop out the back of the house, a little shed where we had all sorts of equipment for making bombs, amongst other things. Yes, of course. Important stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So we got Kelly in there and we thought, right, well, she's injured. We'd better fix the leg. So we cut up a broom handle and got some tape and made a splint for the leg (laughs) and taped it onto her leg. Immobilised the site. Very good. Yeah. Uh, She didn't like that at all and started gnawing at the... Oh, (laughs) really? Started gnawing at the wood and ripping at the tape. So we needed to solve that problem. We had some... uh, some old sheets in there, some bits of fabric and uh, some quick-drying plaster, which we thought we'd oh. employ, and make a plaster cast for so her leg. being an arty-farty family, you had plaster of Paris just lying yeah. around. Oozing around in every yeah. cupboard that you looked at. And yeah. we knew... We knew that how to mix the plaster so that it would not only dry quickly, but would when it dried quickly, it heated up. It got a kind of a warmth. Of course it did. The warmth won't hurt the leg, you know. And it would resemble somewhat the Venus de Milo. So yeah. we set about plastering Kelly's leg, poor little Kelly's yeah, leg, yeah. and she wasn't happy. And uh, we had to hold her down and struggling on the bench while the plaster dried enough to not run everywhere before we let her go, which took maybe... 20 minutes, half an hour of struggling on the bench with yep. a lot yeah. of plaster around. And ultimately, we let her go and she jumped down off the bench. And sure enough, she had a plaster cast on her leg, but her wire-haired frame was almost completely covered in little clumps of plaster where she'd been rolling around in the, wet, in the wet 
plaster. How, how did you determine the actual leg was broken and in need well, of plaster? Well, as it turns out, as the vet pointed out later, the yeah. leg wasn't broken at all. <laughs> <It was just laughs> like... Did he have any harsh words to say about some idiot kid flinging a dog at a baseball hoop? No, he had more to say about next time you want to pass the cast on the, your dog's leg, bring it to the vet, don't try and do it yourself. But Because uh, he had to remove it. We had to yeah. take it to the vet to remove the plaster cast. He would have had to remove it to x-ray the damn thing, wouldn't he? Did he yeah. x-ray it? Oh, well, not, probably only needed have to, to feel no, it. No, he just removed it and yeah. felt the leg and it was fine. Yeah. You know, it was, it was She's a good little thing, <laughs> old Kelly. But before we got to the vet, we... Um, you know, we got the call for dinner or we all ran inside and my father kind of looked from his chair in the corner and he said, what's happened to the dog? You know, what's going on with the dog there? And she was covered in plaster and had a cast on her leg. And we explained what had gone on and he gave us a little bit of a lecture about not doing these things ourselves. It was cruel perhaps to the dog, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we should be thinking about these things. And all of us, all three of us, including Kelly, in fact, all four of us, were all sort of staring at the floor in shame (laughs) while he was giving us that little chat. It was all Superdog's fault. Well, once again, another fabulous story. Yeah. That one flew high, didn't it? (laughs) Well done, John. Yes. Can you girls keep it down? Yes, they're so loud. It's meant to be a soundproof studio. Now, uh, reinventing the... Oh, that was very fast, funny. Reinventing the idea of sculpture at McClelland was postponed last week. Really? I was so looking given forward that our to show it. Given that our away. show, <laughs> that's right. So it's possibly not such a bad thing. But we'll let you know when it is being reprogrammed, which I think will be fairly soon. So apologies to anyone who went to buy tickets. Can I make uh, a suggestion? Yes? That it be postponed until Mark gets back so he can go along. Because he was very upset he couldn't... True. ...attend. Yes. Well, we'll... We'll see. I don't know how, whether or not it's to do with somebody being sick or or whatever. Or, in fact, whether or not Interpol are going to release Mark in time. Mm. That's right. We may never get him back, might we? Mm. I think that's why he called yesterday. Uh, Poets Corner have launched their first... Yes, lurched into launching (laughs) their first anthology called Mm. Gatherings by the Lighthouse, published by Pickled Poetry. Pickled Poetry. You heard about that today from Heather McKeon. Yes. uh, About how you can land your hands on a copy, which would be... Uh, through maybe Farrell's, there's a couple mm. of bookstores around, but also through Pickled Poetry's website. Wonder how they got that name. Pickled Poetry. Yeah, Peter Piper and all that. Yeah, there's pick, a pun there. Pickled but Poetry. Is there something else? It's in a restaurant. Well, Jai, Jai, whose yeah. company it is, uh, likes a bit of alliteration. Likes a bit of a pickle, does he? Mm, he likes alliteration. Well, he likes all, th- all, all, all different forms, yeah. I would say. At 45 yeah. Downstairs, from the 12th to the 23rd of June, is the Bloomsday in Melbourne production of Tom Stoppard's play Travesties. We also heard about that today. To be yes, sure. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Lamont Anglaise. You need Ooh. to get a pair of round glasses, Sally. I do, can... don't I? I have got some at home. I'll I like that. Yeah. Lamont Anglaise is something you'd have with a cup of coffee, is it? Like no, a vanilla slice? No, it's the English lover. Oh. Yeah, the English lover. There's no uh, such thing, surely. <laughs> Could be disputed. <laughs> hmm. um, it's a play written by Marguerite Durat. It's coming to the Frankston Arts Centre on the 12th of June, starring Gillian Murray and Rob Meldrum. Yep. We're going to talk with Gillian Murray next week about it. We've had her on the show before because this play has had three seasons already in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. They were all sellouts. It is an extraordinary production. Uh, Lawrence Strangio is the director. It is... Uh, 
it's an absolutely stunning piece of theatre and if anybody has the wherewithal to go along or the time to go along and see it on the 12th of, of this month, 12th of June, do yep. not miss it. It's Take great. your wherewithal part. Anyway, we're going to talk with Gillian next week yep. and hear a little bit more about it. <clears throat> Top End Ochre, Arts from Nature, 10th of May to the 4th of June. Uh, at the, it says Every When Arts Space, mm. is that what it's called? Correct. 39 Cook Street, Flinders, where I went in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, an exhibition of 60-plus new Aboriginal bark paintings, carvings, paintings and works on paper from all across Indigenous Australia. And if either McCulloch are in there, you're in luck because yeah. they're very, very, very well informed. Now, John, you, s- going on you say you went in there, but you didn't bother to read the sign over the door, is that it? You didn't realise well, that's good. No, it's a, it I is didn't. a funny word, ever, everyone. Yeah, it's a silly word. Yeah, it yeah. is. But it's, um, it's a made-up word, It's a made-up word, that's right. Mm. It's a portmanteau. But it does make sense. Yeah. Every when. Yeah, every when, every moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's also something... That's a contemporary mathematical kind of concept, isn't it, every when, that time happens all at once. That's right. It is, absolutely. And in many universes. Also at every when, from Mornington Island to Mornington Peninsula, some more fabulous art from Indigenous people. Yes, that's right. Uh, Craftism, Dissident Objects and Subversive Forms presents the work of 17 contemporary Australian artists who use their craft to make political statements and open a dialogue about issues facing today's society. That's a touring exhibition that's going to be open at the MPRG. Uh, Well, it is open already, Mm, mm. uh, and it's running through until the 21st of July. And it's good. I haven't seen it. Is it good, is it? Yep. Yeah, fantastic. Does does Mark like it? Uh, Mark said uh, that he thought that it was good in parts and not in others. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to get away with that then, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Solid Light and uh, Psychic Synth are still on at McClelland until uh, July the 14th. In the other room, and that's good too. Although Mark's remark about that was that it was handy to have the bands running in there in the uh, exhibition because they weren't working in the toilet. (laughs) What? If you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About, but you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12. Arts About is available on air, streaming from the station website or the RPP phone app. And we also podcast the show on a Wooska podcast address that you can find by checking in to our Facebook page. Wooska. Yeah, Wooshka. We'll put links to many of these the events that we've been talking about on our Facebook page, so have a look at that. Like us and you'll see regular news about the program. We'll be on again at the same time next week, 11am on Sunday. And remember, everybody... Yeah, everybody. We may not know everything about art. But well, we know we all know. sorts of things. What we don't know yeah. is uh, the resolve of the issue about the trousers. Who paid for those trousers in the end? I think... That Henry Carr won. Okay. So Joyce must have. Right. Goodbye, everybody.